two of the official 615 podcast. So glad you can join us. Big Joe along with my good friend Greg Pogue. And Greg, they got us back for another week. Yeah, one more, right? <laughs> What's going on? Hey, I want to thank the people at ML Rose. We're, we're doing this with our guest today, Rudy Kalis, uh, the iconic Rudy Kalis um, at ML Rose in Mount Juliet. Go check out all the other locations, one on Charlotte and, and, and elsewhere. So, but... And I think we've hit our mark already. You know, what we're wanting to do, it's uh, everybody would identify us with sports, correct? Correct. But it's, we're going to have some of that, but we're going to do uh, entertainment, business, food, lodging, anything and everything, travel, yeah. whatever. Uh, it, there's no, really, there's no boundary to where we're going to head with this thing. No, there's not. And so we got Lucky Lack week, uh, with Butch Spirity, and we got Rudy Kalis today. So a lot of stuff getting to the personal time and things that they've been through, their history and the genesis and the A to Z and everything else with them that make them unique. And thank our sponsor. That's right. Wilson County Hyundai. Thank you so much, Payne, but Wilson County Hyundai. There's a reason people travel from all over to visit Wilson County Hyundai. Great service, great prices, great people. Visit their website, wilsoncountyhyundai.com for everything you need. You will absolutely love them. Welcome back to the official 615 podcast. We are at ML Rose in Mount Juliet, and our guest is uh, truly a, a Nashville icon, Rudy Kalis, of course, uh, Channel 4 sports anchor for anchor for many, many years. And, uh, and, and above that, though, everything he's done in the community and continues to do in the community, uh, and, and just a good friend to so many, including us, Joe. Correct, he is. And took one phone call to get him out here today to talk to us, and we take these 30 to 35 minutes, but I, we could spend 30 days yeah. talking to Rudy. Rudy, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Great to be with you guys. You've been friends for a long time. How you doing? What are you doing these days? Well, uh, I, I, you know what? I'm pretty busy, and I, I think Joe knows I'm part of a uh, prison ministry. I go to Riverbend Maximum Security Prison four days a week, and I spend time with guys in gang units on death row and regular inmates. I've met several guys that have come up to me and said, man, you covered me when I was playing ball in high school. And I wow. said, really? What happened? He said, five minutes of stupid, five minutes of anger, whatever different story. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm in here for 10 years. So I, it's a great, great place for me to be. I just love it. How did you get involved with Men of Valor? Well, because when I retired, people said, what are you going to do? And I said, I, I have no idea. The good Lord showed me where to be. And I was at a speaking engagement and, and there was a guy there who had been an intern of mine 25 years ago, Tevin Peterson. And I said, Tevin, what are you doing? He said, I work with Men of Valor. Did we go into Riverbend Prison? I said, I want to go. Because I'd done some stories. I did a documentary in there. I covered a, like the longest yard. In 1984, behind the walls, the old prison, we went in there with a camera because they had a championship football game amongst the inmates. Wow. They beat each other <laughs> to a pulp because they just <laughs> soon go inside the... Well, they just soon go inside of the infirmary than they would to go anywhere else. And there's guards with shotguns. And we covered that. I even used Michael Jackson music. Beat it. Underneath <laughs> there. And so I'd been inside and I said, I want to go. And I, the minute I walked in, I said, man, these are my people. I got some street cred. I walked in guys. Hey, man, Rudy, how you doing, man? Where's your helicopter? We could fly <laughs> over on that sucker and get out of here. <laughs> so we start talking sports and then we talk about life and faith. Do you remember the first person in, in since your retirement when you went over to the prison and talked to? What was that like? The very first person? Oh, no, no. It was, it was a group of guys. Okay. I was in there for a group in, in an evening. It's like a Bible study that I went there. No, I walked in the door and guys, hey, man, whatever. So because I'd been here on so long they have limited television access so i i was i was so comfortable you know you'd appreciate both of you guys 
I've literally got to the point where I said, I spent 45 years in broadcasting and it was around belligerent coaches and politicians that I loved it. I, all it did was prepare me to go in there because you go in with gang units. I mean, we've got, we had Crips and Bloods and Aryans and Vice Lords and they couldn't send them all in at one time. And we talked to different groups and they push you hard and try to intimidate you and you'll never come back and you keep coming back, coming back. And then they soften up and, I mean, a lot of these guys are hurting inside, and eventually most of them get out. Do you want them as a neighbor? Well, that's our thing. We, 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 you, you put some faith into a man, you make him stand up and feel better about himself, and you got a chance for a guy to kind of, you know, recidivism goes down, way down. Many of them are in there for things they did then that they wouldn't be put into prison for now. Ooh, we, we had one guy who was in, he got caught with some pot 10 years getting caught. Yeah, he, that's he, a slap on the wrist. That's a slap on the yeah. wrist. Yeah, yeah. And that really, and it, sometimes they'll tell you the, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Depends mm -hmm. where you are, who's the hanging judge that throws everybody, uh, you know, we go to death row. Half of the guys over, over half the guys on death row come from Shelby County. You know, and that's, Memphis has a real reputation. In the old days for lynching, for guys going to death row, I mean, it's just a Different place. I look guys from uh, that are from over there. Is that tougher to talk to the? Are you one on one with the death row guys? I am the. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, I am one on one, and we're also together. Every Sunday night, we have a Bible study where we where we talk, but talk about that guys on death row, and the guys can come out. Not everybody can come out of death row. Uh, on death row, you've got an A, B, and C. A guys can come out of their cells and into a pot area, common area, microwaves. They can mingle amongst each other. They've got a wood shop where they can do some things. B guys have messed up in some way. They can't come out except take showers, 23 or 24, shackled. C guys, legs shackled, hand shackled. They don't come out at all. So it's various guys. The guys that come to us, uh, you know, they've, they all behave. It's the most peaceful unit in that whole place. Because the guys in there, they will teach us more about race relationships because they have literally said, you know, we have to get along. We are black, white, Latino. We have to get along. And so they do. Rudy Kalis, our guest on the official 615 podcast. Do you miss the, the, the gig? I know you've been asked that probably 14,000 times, but <laughs> do, do you miss the, this, the, the, the grind of every day trying to put out a newscast or sportscast and it all that goes into it? Well, I love it that Joe is here because he understands grind is a good word because it becomes an incredible grind. I would think Sundays now when I sit there and, you know, watch a game, which you remember, we'd get yeah. to work at 930 in the morning for a home game and leave at midnight. And you're just you're just humping the whole day long. You're going wild. You're trying to put stuff and you put that long sports cast together. You think it all revolves in you. And the thing I miss the most is flying in the helicopter and going to these little communities where they just get a big kick. You fly to, you know, we flew to Red Boiling Springs. You pump sunlight up the Red Boiling Springs. <laughs> and we pull out in there and some old boy in overalls poked me in the chest and said, this biggest thing since Flatten Scruggs did a concert here. Boy. <laughs> you know? So they can, you can't believe that you've shown up. And so, which Joe knows, because he's that way. We, we uh, The highlights that we showed, I think half of it was the people. Yeah. And we try to have a little fun with somebody on the sideline and then a couple of plays from the game, but let the whole community feel good about who they are. And then when you take off and you got 5,000 people waving at you, and we try to, shouldn't have done it, but we barrel down the middle of the field <laughs> of that helicopter, bank that sucker and fly off again. They just get a big kick. Out. I was at a game. It was Harpeth taking on somebody, but it was at Harpeth. And you flew in and 
uh, I was working at another TV station at the time, and the pay announcer said, hey, we're going to pause the game. Everybody can wave at Rudy. I'll never forget Rudy looking at the field and the officials during the game. They paused it, waving at you in the helicopter as he went off. And really? I was like, that, my <laughs> friends, is only reserved for a legend can do that. Well, and, and you know, Joe followed, you know, a few lines uh, there, the sports anchor at, at Channel 4. They he first off uh, he couldn't get in the helicopter <laughs> and, and it never could take off with him. You know, remember, remember being yeah. Brent. I don't know if he's still yeah, there. The yes, I yeah. always said if they put it, Brent and Joe, he's six foot seven. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah, I said you can get off the ground. Yeah. And, and or if it's you and Joe, it's it's flying sideways, <laughs> right? And remember, you know, Murphy Fair wanted to fly with us one year. Murphy yeah. writes that great paper for uh, high school sports. Well, we couldn't with him and the and all of us. We couldn't take off from the little pad at the station. We had to meet at Troon. Well, I had to shoot a stand-up, which means an introduction to it that we were they were going to put into the news. I did that. We had a we came back and hovered over the station's parking lot, put padded paper around that thing, and dropped it out of the <laughs> helicopter into the into the parking lot. Then we flew off from there because we couldn't take off with all the weight. So. <laughs> We are at ML Rose in Mount Juliet. Want to thank the great people out here for having us today. It is the second of the many, many to come. We started last week with the official six one five podcast with Butch Spearden, the executive, great. you know, yeah. the, with the you know Nashville Visitors and Tours Corporation. We did that. I mean, we're just bouncing around with this thing. The the things that you did, you were you immersed yourself in it. You flew uh, fly uh, what? Fighter planes, well, I got uh, F-16, yeah, yeah. F-16 yeah. and, and that. Uh, you uh, almost <laughs> was decapitated oh. at the fairgrounds. Yeah. What, I mean, that night must have been something. I mean, because yeah. you're, you're out there, you know, celebrity driving and you about lose your head, literally. Well, well I, I've had a doctor tell me, he said, it's by the grace of God, I'm not paralyzed from the neck down. Really? Because I, I hit the wall so hard, head on, straight on with my face hit hit the steering wheel. I had glasses before LASIK and the glasses went up on my forehead and ripped my scalp off. I, I got a picture of me laying on the operating table with my scalp behind Ugh. it and, and, the, and they needed 151 stitches to close all of this up and I had a break in my neck. But he said, I bent the race steering wheel, which I have at home, you know, right now, like a NASCAR, any kind of racing steering wheel, bent that thing with my face. And so he said, I, I, the fact that I'm not paralyzed for life is just a, just a blessing. So the first EMT guy that got there, uh, before he realizes what's happened, he said, man, Rudy's the best wreck we've had here all day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then also I hear him go, whoa. You know, I didn't lose consciousness. I was semi-conscious. And I'm, and I'm saying, you think we can race tomorrow? I'm sorry for wrecking his car. Good Lord, they put me on a gurney. And now the EMT guy taking me to Vanderbilt starts pulling, uh, push, push, pushing down on my forehead, put the scalp back in place, and he's pushing down on it, holding it in place, and he says, Rudy, come backwards from 100 by sevens. Try that sometime. Boy, I'm going, um, 93, I just, he just wanted to have me talk and see if I had any marbles left. He got me to the hospital, the Vanderbilt. Greg Pogue, uh, you, you know, and you know Brad Schmidt. Sure. Brad Schmidt shows up. Uh, he's writing for the Tennessee, and sees a doctor who's talking to my wife, and she says to the doctor, Fix him up good, Doc, because when I get him home, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> so, and I always got to remember, I had to bite the dog that bit me. Every guy, it's a, it's a man thing. So the next year, I'll be if I don't get on the pole position. But made a big deal. Uh, Rudy comes back to race, and uh, we're racing, and I'm going to win this sucker. I'm two laps from the end of it. Come up to two guys that are, that are we're, I'm trying to lap. 
they're side by side. I can't get below. I can't get high. The guy was in second place behind me. Saw, catches up on the on the back stretch of the last turn. He's up to the guy on the outside behind me. I said, man, this is crazy. That guy on the outside moves ahead a little bit. I said, I'm going to lose it. So I'm trying to bump the guy in front of me out of the way, and I locked bumpers with him, and I Ugh. spin out on the last turn of what should have been Rudy's glorious return to the racetrack. Well, what were those cars again? Legends cars. Legends, Legends cars. cars. They, yes. they, they've got some uh, motors. I think they're like motorcycle motors, but they can get up and go. They're so much fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I vividly remember all that because we got the report back that you were in grave condition. Oh, I mean, that's what it was like. Rudy was in a bad accident. He was taken to the hospital. He's in grave condition. And we're like, what in the world? Because yeah. these legend cars, I'm like, they don't go more than 15 miles an hour. Oh, no. They, they were so wrong. Yeah, so wrong. I mean, on the back stretch, you can hit 60 easy. Just you, and then you slow down. And then when you hit in the turn, and that's what it was me. There had been a practice before that. Got blew an engine. They put stay dry, but not enough. And I hit that thing and squirreled and started hydroplaning towards the wall. Wow. I remember letting off of the brake, hoping it would catch and hit the brake again, but just... Bam! Just, oh, just, goodness. Just T-boned that thing. So, anyway. Yeah. Crash Craddock. I mean, Rudy Kalis. He uh, put a thing on it said, you know, turn four. You know, we did a, a race, old racing yeah. show. But, uh, yeah, I don't know why. Uh, what year did you show up at Channel 4? 1974. July 74. <laughs> Hired me over the phone. You know, you don't understand these things. Because <laughs> I, 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 I sent our resumes. I'm in Green Bay. Uh, uh, where, where, where consultants told me to get out of broadcasting. <laughs> they, yes, they know it sports. all. Yeah. They, and and if, I, if I said the consultant group, you would know immediately. But they wanted me to be real in your face. And, uh. and, and you know, you, you might be good in sales. And so I sent a resume. One was in Nashville. And I said, I wish I had the tape. It was the old two-inch but yeah, I wish I still had that somewhere because I think it was awful. At least I had a luscious head of hair. But I'm <laughs> and so they hired me. So I came down here, uh, hired me over the phone. And I said, man, y'all don't wear shoes down here. I'm going to stay here a year or two and I'm out of here. <laughs> when, obviously, by the time you had career had peaked and everything, you were known for your sweaters. Yeah. How did that come about? It, I mean, and how many sweaters did you have? Well, I, there was somebody did an article and at the time I counted out 152. Yeah. Or something for, wow. for just a piece of some sort. It started one night where I, you know, I'm, I'm like Joe, we're the same. You don't want to wear, you know, you got to wear right. a coat, but you, and I, and I wore a sweater one and I'm telling you the phone rang might've been a first phone call back in the sports office. Well, I just want you to know that I work with a sales organization traveling around the country and I've got a guest here in town. We just happen to be watching and you are the most unprofessional looking broadcaster <laughs> I've ever seen on television. What are you doing with us? What is this? Where's your coat and tie? And I went to the news director and he said, uh, yeah, he said, look here, you know, wear one once a month or once if you want to. And, and then it became, and then it was once a week yes. and, then, and then it became a shtick. And Joe knows this and you know it too. You got to make a bit of an idea. Be different. Right. Don't be these, you know, because I'm not going to wear skin tight blue suit, wear brown <laughs> shoes and, and do this little this tight haircut just so I can look like everybody else. Right. Be who you are. And after a while, I had more women say to me, I don't even like sports, but I like to see what you're wearing. Thank you very much. Well, Rick Bird, you know, he did it with a sweater yeah, vest, right? Yeah. That, that was became his deal. Well, it was just and, his comfort yeah, level. Yeah. On broadcast, it's kind of, I don't even know if I could get it away with it today. What do you think, No, Joe? there's no way. There, there, there's no way. But what also made it special was when Dan and Dimitri would all comment on it. And this then it became part yeah. of everything. And then it was a no-brainer then. Yeah. I would not talk to Dan Miller for uh, uh, before the 6 o'clock newscast. I'd be, make a point of it. 
for two reasons. One, because he wouldn't see me. And I said, oh, well, what the heck are you wearing? Here? Right. Say, or secondly, he'd say to me, so what have you been doing all day? Sitting around? Like, what are you talking about, Miller? <laughs> and then you, would you understand, you do, you get this little chemistry interchange. And the news director at the time would be in the control booth and say, let him go. Let him go. And we'd maybe go 35, 40. People think that's short. That's a long time to it go is. 40 seconds in a little back and forth. And people would, to this day, they'll say, you guys were like family. Because you got a little insight into the personality of the people. Yeah, it was, you know, what's terrible is that would not work today. No. Would not work. You'd be called in and in separated and everything. Uh, you're exactly right. It's, it, so- it's bad. When you showed up in 74, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but of course, Greg and I know this. I mean, yeah, Pat Sajak. Oh, yeah. Work with Pat. Yeah, <laughs> Pat was a Pat was a nut. He was a he was a he was doing weather, right? Yeah, he was doing the weekend weather, and uh, uh, yeah, I remember he did a show one time where he could he comes out with Dan Miller, witness sports. He he worked the weekday shift, and he comes out. I, I got laryngitis. I can't speak. <laughs> And he wrote to he said, Dan, would you read? I'll, I'll use the grease pen. Remember the old grease pen yeah. on the old wall? And said, I'll mark it on the wall. Dan said, okay. So he starts to read. Well, Dan, we've got a front coming in from the West. So he draws that line. And, said, and then about three lines in, the line says, Dan doesn't read it. Jade, <laughs> Pat, you, uh, you've got an incredible... No, yeah, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> you can just let your mind go wherever yes. he wants and try to catch him off guard. Oh, yeah. So when you see Pat Sajak go to Wheel of Fortune, what was that like? A guy you knew in that setting at Channel 4. I saw him now- two times. He'd come back and he came back for Dan's funeral. And that's when I saw him again. But um, we, I've got some photos, you know, where we're in a group and all that sort of stuff. But uh, at first we said he was going to do weather. Wow. And then the Wheel of Fortune thing, it's just amazing. But he was so witty. He was so witty in the things that he would do. He would do a thing on sun, on Saturday nights. Um, uh, he was the announcer in the in the in the booth and there'd be a camera on him. We played like Sir Cecil Creep. And these old, remember those old, <laughs> yes. old things? All right. And during commercials, they'd come to him and he'd be looking at the camera. Well, what Pat would do was as the show went to go on, he would lower his seat. <laughs> so by the, by, by the end of the, you know, by the end of an hour, all you see is the very top of his head talking to the camera and just to see if anybody was watching. You know? Oh, uh, and something else, too, that you work with somebody that who is now amazingly popular and famous and we, everybody loves her is Robin Roberts. Ooh. What was that like working with her? Robin, the first within the first week when she came to work with us, she started getting calls. Got calls from Atlanta. They wanted her at a TV station in Atlanta, and all these. And we would spend hours talking about. Uh, she she would literally. How, how should I present myself? You know, do I do I get real like because there weren't many women? Do I act real you know real macho and try to act like a guy or do I lay? How should I, I just be who you are? And she had this wonderful wonderful chemistry. And I had a wonderful that you guys photographer I worked with for 30 years, old John Wilson, and I'd send them off together. They laughed to this day, and I sent them to the women's SEC tournament down in Georgia. And here you got this this bearded white guy with this one this beautiful black girl going into a little bitty town restaurant down here in deep Georgia. And he said, there, 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 there's folks that are they're talking and stuff. But, <laughs> but, but it was just great. She just had this personality about her. And so uh, when she leaves Channel 4 yeah. and, you know, and you're her, the boss, you're the sports director. Well, do you remember her saying I'm moving on? Or was that kind of yeah. bittersweet? No, we did. We, we did a video. We did a video that's still back at the station and down on that where nobody wants to go anymore. I, I, there are wonderful stories on there where she and I went to Vanderbilt. We started shooting hoops. 
and John, John Wilson shot it. And we just talked while we played a game of horse against each other. And uh, it's it's there. It's vintage. I think I even had to send a copy when they honored her for something. And it was just wow. she just said, you know, it's time for her to go. She was just so, so good. And, and I just loved it. We had a lot of time together. We're talking to Rudy Kalis. This is the official 615 podcast brought to you by our good friends at Wilson County Hyundai. Do you know why people drive from every surrounding county to buy, sell, or lease cars from Wilson County Hyundai? It's because Payne Bone and his staff offer an unbeatable experience from everything, customer service, prices, you name it, they do it. It's a family-run business, incredible reputation, and an award-winning team. Simply visit WilsonCountyHyundai.com and then go visit them in Lebanon. Wilson County Hyundai, the proud sponsor of the official 615 podcast. Rudy Kalis is our guest. Rudy, I'm just going to read something. Uh, AmbassadorSpeaks.com. You do a lot of speaking and things in, I don't know, your bio. And, and, and okay, but uh, Rudy had humble beginnings, and he sailed into New York Harbor with his mother, father, and sister <laughs> as immigrants from Germany when he was only five years old, unable to speak a word of English, with all their earthly possessions crammed into one small wooden trunk, they were each issued $14 and a train ticket that eventually led them to Milwaukee, where he lived for the next 20 years. Yeah. I don't, I don't know a lot of people know that story. Yeah, I, maybe not. Um, yeah. Maybe not. It's, 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 it's a part of my we're – we're all a product of the shadows in our past. Right. And my mom and dad – my dad never cared anything about sports, and here we are in my world. I, I think I've, I've said – the first time my dad and I ever watched a football game together was Green Bay Packers, little black and white TV in German, because that's all we talked at home. He turned to me and he said, they're killing themselves over one ball. Why can't they <laughs> give them each one and send them home? That was my dad's philosophy. Let the other guys win once in a while. So what is that? So I, I always, and I think I always kept that, that immigrants mentality in the stories I tried to do. I, I, cause we, we all know, you know, we, we, we broadcast, we don't narrow cast. ESPN is narrow cast. I give you all the cliches, give you all the analytics, give you all the numbers, but broadcast means half of our audience doesn't give a flip about sports. How do I engage them? If I make the story relate to life. So if I can, if I can do a piece, which you've tried to do, Joe, for all, you know, and I tried to do it. If you can do something, I would say to my wife, I said, you'll, does that make sense to you? Yes, and if you do that, then you draw in from that part of the audience, and then you've done something. Did your father get to see your success here in Nashville? Well, he uh, he, uh, he died in two thousand and one, so yes, yeah. they got to visit, and they were yeah, they were all for that. This is yes, my son. You know? <laughs> my dad, if he you know if he opened his mouth, he wouldn't say much. He he was just quiet and. Um, you know, and so yes, for them it was it was really something. My sister was a was a surgeon, uh, so they they ought to be they were proud for what they did. They showed us things. Two things were vitally important for them. One is you don't waste money, you will save money. You know, and and they look at society now. I got, you know, I, I need that Lexus. <laughs> right. Here I go. <laughs> and the other thing was education. Um, get your, but the trouble for me was that uh, my sister got straight A's, but I was one of these ADD kids where you'd have to pump me with Ritalin or something. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a space cadet. I, I found a report card of mine in second grade. <laughs> I, my daughter's did. I got a D in behavior in second grade. I said, what, do you, what do you do? I'm going from the eighth grade to the ninth grade. They found a report card. I got the highest grade was a C minus. Everything else was a D and a, and a D and F or an incomplete. And because I couldn't, because And my dad would try to motivate me by saying, what is wrong with you? Are you dumb? You're not going to amount to anything, you know? And so I thought I must be dumb. So, I, I mean, I barely got out of high school. I tried college, a tech school. I couldn't get into college for a year at a 0.94 grade point average. 
and a draft notice in 1966. And spent four years in the military. Yeah, well, in the Air Club. Force, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, t- let's talk about that experience. Oh, I, you know, I, I went in because I knew, you know, it was Vietnam. I go in the Army, I don't know where I'm going and stuff, but I love airplanes, so I signed up. I went to the recruiter. I sure would love to be an air traffic controller. Certainly, Mr. Kalis, sign right here. <laughs> <laughs> Flew us down to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, 125 guys, big tech sergeant, met us at the plane, dog cussed us all, said every one of y'all is fixing to be blankety-blank military police. Ugh. What? Yeah. Shut up. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> so I spent four years uh, doing that. Uh, where all did it take you? Well, I, I stayed in the States. It was in Wisconsin for a year. In Madison, there was an Air Force Base there. Uh, then I went to, uh, in Travis Air Force Base, uh, in, in California, and then flew out into the Pacific. We had, we had guys going three ways from, from Travis, either Vietnam, Thule Air Force Base in Greenland, Ugh. or Johnston Island. And I went to Johnston Atoll, which is 880 miles southwest of Hawaii, is a half a mile wide, is a mile long, is nothing but a refueling stop. When Apollo 11 landed on the moon, they came back and landed very close to Johnston Island. Nixon flew Air Force One to Johnston Island and flew from there to a helicopter to meet them. And I, being military police, had the midnight to 3 a.m. shift to walk around Air Force One on a, on a deserted island out in the middle of the Pacific. That is fascinating to me, though. <laughs> that is fascinating. Is yes. Here's the, the greatest airplane ever created, Air Force One, and yeah. you're in the middle of nowhere defending it against a shark or something, <laughs> whatever, shark. right? <laughs> That's about the extent of it, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Rudy Kalis with us, the official 615 podcast. want to thank, again, ML Rose and Mount Juliet, the one in, in Charlotte Avenue. Yes. As well. Oh, I love Three locations um, around the area, and we appreciate them having us out here. Uh, tell us about the family, kids, grandkids. Ooh, we have yeah. two daughters. So yeah. one daughter's in California and has our three grandsons, grandkids. Uh, I've got a 17-year-old grandson a 15-year-old and a 7-year-old granddaughter. So uh, wow. so they're great. They live in the Bay Area doing well. We unfortunately my uh, my son-in-law coached them all. They were all they're all good athletes, but he got killed in a motorcycle wreck last summer. Oh. So the kids are having to deal with that and my daughter too. And our other daughter lives here in Nashville. And my wife has thankfully just renewed my contract for the 41st year. <laughs> <laughs> well done. 41. She's, she's from Nashville. I had a sweet talk her. She, uh, well done. Uh, I want to ask you, and I've never asked you this cause I, it, I didn't feel it was my place, but I feel like we've become really close friends. Uh, when Dan passed away, yeah, you were with him. Yeah. And, uh, how, how to tread this. Do you remember it? Did, did oh. you blank it out or uh, how? Because he was in his hometown of Augusta, yeah, right? Home, hometown yeah. of Augusta was the second year. He and Terry Bolger, it's as clear as day and I'm fine with it. I, I got that privilege to be with my dear, dear friend when he passed from this life to the next. That's what I tell people. He and Terry and I had gone a year before. We went again this year. Dan Miller was like uh, Mr. Magoo. When, on, the, on TV was Dan Miller. But when he would be out, we'd stop in a restaurant on the way driving down there. He said, what are you ordering? What are you going to have? What do you got? What do you like? What are you <laughs> Come on, Dan. He couldn't make, you know, and I give you, so we went to Augusta again that second time. And he'd been short of breath for a few weeks. Dimitri and I had both been telling him, Dan, go get a check. Get, get a doctor. No, no, I'll be all right. So Terry and I were concerned. I, walking around all day there. We were there on one of the practice days. and uh, But he spent, he was fine. We went the whole time. And then when we left, we were so grateful. Hey, we had a great time. We we, uh, we went to the par three. It was the day of the par three. Right. Here we are, Dan. I've got a video of him standing next to Jack Nicholas 
Arnold Palmer and Gary Player, and they're about to tee off, and Dan gives me the high thumb. Can't doesn't get any better than this. So we go off and we leave. We stop at the gift shop. Here's Dan Miller again. We got to get something there. Dan comes out. I got to get a different cap. Okay, fine. I said, Dan, look. He said, what do you think? How do you like the cap? And I said, Dan, look at the one on your head. He bought the same <laughs> one he had on his head. <laughs> and so when we go to eat somewhere, and we, so we, after dinner, we get back to his niece's apartment or a condo where we were staying, which was right up the street. And he said, I want to go for a walk in the neighborhood one more time. I said, I'll go with you. And we walked down the street. He tells me everybody that lived at every house. We stopped at his house in my bedroom. He says up there on the second floor. And he said, "I see the house on the other side on the second floor. They got the they had the cutest daughter up there. My, I got more whippings because I would pull my blinds just a little bit and just stare until <laughs> maybe I could see a little something. And and then all of a sudden he gets real short of breath. And we walk a little bit. And he said, "Wait, a minute, I got to sit down for a minute." Now I'm saying, Lord. Just get us back. Just get us back. We're going to drive back. We'll be all right. We went a little further. I had to go up a hill. And he said, whew. And he had to sit. And then we got up the walk, and he just collapsed in my arms. And I did CPR. I pushed on it. I, I, could, I could still feel his whiskers on my face as I tried to blow some air into him and push on it. I've got no cell phone. So I'm saying, Lord, help me. I need somebody. And a car comes over the top, slams on the brakes. Two guys jump out. I said, call an ambulance. They do. I'm doing CPR. They, they, the ambulance comes, they put him on that, and he leaves, and he was, he was pretty much, I think, probably gone. I went back, got Terry, went to the hospital, and, uh, uh, you know, and they said, I'm sorry, your friend is gone. Then I had to call, I had to call his wife. How about that for a phone call at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, Nashville time, and, and, and tell her that, 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 that Dan had passed away. We couldn't sleep, so we got in the car, started driving back. I don't know how word, this blows my mind, how word got back here to Nashville that fast. My phone is off the wall. I cell phone people calling from that. What is all that happened? And we came back and, you know, and we went on the news with it and then had a fabulous funeral for him. The greatest thing that he ever taught me was that he was the least judgmental people person of other people that I've ever been around. You could be absolutely against anything that he said. He let you say your piece and then he would be amiable. I mean, it just blew my mind. And Sajak came in, did a beautiful tribute. Vince Gill sang there. And I got to tell people that I got to be with my dearest friend as he passed from this life. And I've had people, oh, I'll tell you the thing for a moment if you have Sure. The night before, we got there um, on a Tuesday. And Tuesday night, he and I, for whatever reason, now I know why, stayed much later till midnight, talking about growing up, talking about our families, talking about our kids, went through each one of his kids. And so when I got back and we go to his, uh, his wife's house, the kids are arriving, people are all in tears. I got to tell each child and wow. his wife something he specifically said about how much he loved them the night before. That blew them away and blew me away. Now I know why we stayed up there. Man. I just, I, I just, I'm, I'm at a loss. I, I couldn't imagine what you went through and Terry went through and being there with Dan and, not having your cell phone and this car shows up I, it just in his hometown. He just saw his house. He had not been back in many years. Oh, that? no. We had been there the year before. Okay. This was the second year that we'd gone back. Okay. So it was, it was going to become a regular ritual. Yeah. We just love it. But he had not been in that neighborhood? No. He, we'd even been. Okay. But uh, he said, let's go do it again. And we just did it again. The first time we, we stayed, um, we didn't really, you know, you're right. Didn't walk through the whole neighborhood. Right. We were kind of in the area, but not neighborhood. Drove through, but didn't walk like we did this time did this sounds kind of an odd question did part of you die with dan that day hey you know what 
you know, I, I live my life by faith. I, I did that on October 10th, 1978 at 1230. I said, Lord, I'm yours from that day on. So I knew that I knew that I was supposed to be there. So I'm, I'm, I was fine. I went on the newscast. I, my, I, I loved him, but I knew that I was meant to be a transition for his family and for all of wow. us. And maybe the last person he was with was someone that, that, that cared for should, would, I would love for it if it had been his family member, but I have never, I've never had, I never had any kind of reaction to it that was negative. And I just had a, I just had a glorious privilege. Rudy, how are you doing? Just you just totally you had your hip replacement. Yeah, just like last week. We can go today. Yeah, when you're today. bouncing around like a, <laughs> you know, I mean, we could could you tell you walked in? Not at all. Yeah, I had no it's, idea. It's amazing. You know, all of this stuff is okay until you. I know I've I've had I've had three rotators back in January. I had my third wow. rotator cuff that I that I tore hitting a, hitting a three wood off of a tree stump. That you know that sort of stuff. <laughs> And so I've had ACLs and I have a knee replacement. So all of that gives you a chance to find out, you know, if you man up or not. And until the, once the surgery is over, all right, it's up to me. Now I can either be a wimp all my life. And I was back in the prison with the guys on Saturday. Man, what are you doing here? Now you, <laughs> I get to, you know, you get to say, hey, you know, I, I, you just man up. This is what you're, you're right. don't go around wimping. The doctor used to say to my about me about my mother, she enjoys her poor health. You know, <laughs> and how many people we know like that? You know, how you doing? Oh Lord, don't ask. Well, I don't know. I don't know. So you get up and go, and I think your attitude means a lot. I will tell you real quick that we time put in a charity basketball game. I was at Channel Two, you're at Channel Four, and you destroyed us. You hit probably 15 three pointers, and we couldn't stop you. And I'll we played at Trevecca. You probably don't remember this. Oh, I remember. But you you wouldn't miss a shot. I mean, you played like it was Game Seven of the NBA Finals, and nobody could stop you. We were like, "What is going on here?" You had shot after shot after shot, <laughs> and I vividly remember you doing that. Oh, I'm I, surprised I, you didn't go out there and just hack. I tried to. Yeah. You know what? We played him again, and, I, and somebody told. I think I had eleven threes or something like that. And it was just you get in a zone. And right. I love hoops. But earlier that morning. I was in with a guy who was a trainer of mine because I had a back spasm and he had given me a treatment on my back. So I didn't know if I would be able to play. So, you know, and here I won my fit. So we played y'all again and this, then you had John Dwyer was there. Yep. He, Channel two played a boxing one on a 55 year old man. Did. True story. Yeah. Couldn't stop and, and, and he, Well, but no, but that second game, he shut me down pretty good. He just wouldn't let me a boxing one on a 55 year old man. In a charity game. In a charity <laughs> game. Yeah. It was nonstop. I'll never forget it. Rebecca, people would, you know, now when a guy shoots a three pointer, everybody stands up, holds their hands up. Yeah. And everybody was, every time you did that, it was a sight to, to be seen because you were just killing us we, that day. We played so many. We played, when I first came to Nashville, I said, let's play a team. And we named them the Holy Smokers because Paul Eels, <laughs> the broadcaster, you know, used to always say, Holy Smoke. So if you see that now, what are you, what are you talking about? Holy Smokers? Right. So, and we played up to 30, 35 games a year. We got uniforms. Wow. We'd go all over the mid state and play. Like faculties and and we get two three thousand people. It was like reliving a childhood. And people wonder why you guys were so popular. It was things like that. Could be because you stay and you put your arms around them and you have a big time with them. And but I learned to lie because we could. I couldn't get Ralph Emery would come to every one of those games. 
he would he would show up and play. Now Ralph couldn't go between the forty yard line, you know, on a, on a full court game. But he would always show up, and we'd have like three guys. So I'd go there and I would grab the mic. I said, "We've got some more guys that have been caught in the, at the station and might not be able to. Can we borrow a couple of your guys?" <laughs> <laughs> and our guys would never show up. There'd be three of us who were legit, and two from their team, and then we'd play. What's it? You walk in here and. I saw heads turn. People still know who you are and appreciate you. That, that's got to be a good feeling. It's a funny feeling because I feel like I told you when you text me, I said, I'm, you know, I'm out of the limelight. People don't know who I am. But people that have lived here have been very kind. Yes, they do. And they, they say, um, you know, how are you doing? I've had uh, not two great things. Two things I remember. Several years ago, a few years ago, and you'll know I was in an elevator at Vanderbilt Hospital coming down. There's a guy in the elevator on the back end of it in a wheelchair facing against the back wall. The guy next to him holding the elevator looks at me and he goes, hey, we know you. Turns me or turns around and the guy in the wheelchair says, uh, tutti frutti, oh, Rudy. <laughs> and I go, it was little Richard. Wow. It was little Richard oh, had been there for a thing. Wow. And, yeah. And he said, man, we want, so the joy with you guys, you know, you've been doing more radio, Greg, but Joe, you know, you go out and people that you don't even know you've affected. And, you know, and we flew one of our high school games, a lady showed up at a place and she, she, she'd been touching the sauce before we got there. Right. And she comes up to me, gives me a big hug, says, man, I've watched you all my life. Cootie Rayless. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's so great. Rudy, thanks for doing this. We could sit here all afternoon. We'll thank the great folks here at ML Rose and Mount Juliet. Of course, the other locations as well. But uh, thank you. Uh, Not for this, but thank you for being Rudy Kalis, because this city uh, needs somebody like you, still does. Well, uh, you're very kind. You guys are the best of friends. You make this a conversation. It's a lot of fun. And, Joe, you've got... Whatever little I had, I always to say people, if they say nice things to me, it was because of Paul Eels, the man that was an example to me right. for that. And and you do the same kind of stuff. People love you in this community. Greg, you've been doing this so long. Well, you know, when when he came back, to, when he came to Channel 4, yeah. it was you that called me to get his cell phone number. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And that's I've written right. about that on a, on a Monday yeah. night. Yeah, you, you called did. me, and uh, I don't yeah. answer my phone. And for some reason, the good Lord said, on a Monday night at 930, you should have been in bed. You're doing the morning show. And I've written about this, and the good Lord said, answer that phone. I'm like, I'm not answering the phone. It's like, answer the phone. I'm not answering the phone. I answered the phone. It was you. Mm-hmm. And it said, hey, I'm moving to the morning show, and uh, we've been looking through tapes, and I'd really like to have you here. And I'm like, oh, God, Rudy Kalis is calling me. And so I always tell people when I got the job, like, oh, you replaced Rudy. I'm like, no, no, I, like Ray Perkins and Bear Bryant. I'm like, no, 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 no. Rudy's still here. We're still together. I'm not replacing anybody. So I, I always valued that, and so thank you. Ah, now you brought your own personality. I have no idea why I took that morning thing. <laughs> Get up at 2 a.m. Live and learn. Jay says the same nuts. thing right now. <laughs> Live just, and learn. Yeah, we both did that sort of stuff. But yep. it's been a wonderful time, and you guys have been a big part of it for years. And so uh, it's a joy. Thanks. Well, we appreciate you. Also, thanks to Wilson County Hyundai for this, for sponsoring the official 615 podcast. Rudy, thank you. We thank the world of you, man. Thank man, you. And you guys are great. Thanks, thanks Rudy. All right, Greg. There's a reason people travel from all over to visit Wilson County Hyundai. Great service, great prices, great people. Visit their website, WilsonCountyHyundai.com, for everything you need. You will absolutely love them. (laughs) 